in this episode, I want to kind of explore how we determine if something is racist. Like, I want to, I want to, I'm trying to figure out that feeling of when you're like, that doesn't seem too right, actually, what just happened or what you just said. But you kind of feel like you're overreacting or like being overly sensitive and you like doubt yourself and you're like, well, now I'm not sure. Was that racist? Or like, what's going on here? And I feel like at the crux of this question, how, how you can tell if something is racist, is the concept of microaggressions. So a microaggression is a statement, action, or incident that's regarded as an indirect, subtle, or unintentional discrimination against a person in a marginalized group, um, such as like a black person, like myself. This is straight off Google, by the way. And I feel like that's like the number one thing where someone will microaggress you and you're like, was that racist? Or did I just, I don't know, am I just being like kind of weird about it? Um, and most of the time I would say that if you think that something is racist, go with your gut. It probably is. But sometimes I'm like, the gray area is very confusing to me. So I took this one class in college. It was based on creative writing. And they had this this um, module we did where we explored microaggressions. And there's this one piece by this author called So You Want to Talk About Race. And it's a beautiful piece. So I wanted to read an excerpt from it. I will try and link where you can access it below i gotta find that but um it's 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 a beautiful piece so i'm gonna read an excerpt starting at chapter 12. it's titled what are microaggressions well you shouldn't wear red lipstick anyway on your lips you'd look like a clown jennifer said this to me at the end of lunch period in our middle school she was leaning against the wall like a cool girl from television Jennifer had a horizontally striped skirt that was all the rage in the early 90s and a slightly slouchy jeans that would only in later years be called mom jeans, but at the time, they were very in. She had skin that I'd seen in romantic novels referred to as peaches and cream. Her auburn hair was in a stylish bob, and on her lips was a beautiful shade of red lipstick. My mom had just allowed me to begin wearing lipstick the beginning of that seventh grade year. But with all of my mom's lectures on the importance of natural looking makeup, I knew without asking that I would not be able to leave my house with a bright red shade on my lips. In all honesty, I'd never really thought about wearing red lipstick before, but seeing my two cool classmates donning the shade informed me that I had been missing out on all that makeup had to offer. So I walked over to Jennifer, pulled by her beauty. I tugged my yellow jacket that I used to hide my belly a little tighter over my body. My two tight jeans made zipping noises and my chubby thighs rubbed together. I patted down the top of my relaxed hair with an inch of puffy roots. Jennifer was everything I was not, but I loved her lipstick, so we finally had something in common. I really like that lipstick, I said, trying to sound like I wasn't nervous, like Jennifer and I talked every day. I wish my mom would let me wear a color like that. Jennifer looked at me, smiled briefly, and then said, Well, you shouldn't wear red lipstick anyway. On your lips, you'd look like a clown. I broke into a cold sweat immediately. Oh yeah, <laughs> I tried to laugh. I guess you're right, my big lips. I pinched my lips together, trying to draw them into my mouth. Okay, see ya, I said with faked nonchalance and turned and walked away, patting my hair and tightening my jacket once again. I didn't wear red lipstick until after I graduated high school, and not because of my mom. I patted my hair all of the time because of all the times my hair had been referred to as poofy. Nothing bad was meant by it, nobody was trying to hurt. 
It was just an acknowledgement that in a time where people were literally coating their strands in silicone, my hair's volume was a noticeable and unpleasant contrast. My hair and my lips were not the only part of me that was too much. I had taken on quite a babyish voice a few years earlier, after all of the jokes about how my loudness was so typical for a black girl. I didn't know what that meant, because I was the only black girl at my school, but I knew it wasn't good. My butt was also too big, and that was made very clear with references to hip-hop songs glorifying large butts that were often recited to me by my smiling classmates. I would be having a good day, lost in my imagination, and bam, I'd be hit with a comment that would remind me that I was not allowed to get comfortable. I couldn't walk comfortably, I couldn't talk comfortably, I couldn't sit without patting my hair, I couldn't smile without worrying about how large my lips looked. In spite of all this, I really did love school. I was a bright kid who enjoyed learning. I was in the advanced program in middle school and finished the last two years of high school at the local community college to get a head start on college credit. I had been obsessed with getting into a good college. By ninth grade, I had an entire row on my bookshelf dedicated to college brochures. I wasn't the only one. Other kids in the advanced classes were just as obsessed with college as I was. At first, my eyes would light up when kids would want to start talking about college. Finally, something that we all had in common. After hanging around the periphery of such talk for a few weeks, I finally decided to join in. I began rattling off the colleges I had hoped to go to when a student cut me off and said, I mean, you don't have to try that hard anyway, do you? You're black, and you don't even have to do well in school to get into college. You don't even have to be in this class. He looked at me matter-of-factly when he said that, no malice in his eyes. The other kids in the group just sort of nodded as if this kid had said something as plainly true as the earth is round. And although it hadn't been explicitly said, the message was clear. You don't belong here. Even in this group of nerds, this group of people who had loved the same boring books and random facts and all raised to be the first to answer the same questions in school as me, I didn't belong. Because I was black. I would like to say that this is when I stopped caring about what other people think, and that this was when I stopped trying to fit in. But I was a 15-year-old girl, and I was so lonely. So I kept trying. I kept trying to make friends and build community, and every time I thought I'd make progress, someone would deflate all of the air out of my dream. But as painful as it was, I didn't know that it was wrong. I didn't know that I wasn't supposed to be treated this way. I was pretty sure that I was a problem, because nobody came to my defense. Hell, nobody batted an eye even when these things were said to me. They weren't a big deal, just small comments, little jokes. I shouldn't be so sensitive. It was all in my head. If I just found a way to have less things wrong with me, these bothersome comments would stop. So I smiled less, ate less, laughed less, and spoke in a whisper. That's all I'm going to read from her writing. This author, it's just, it's a beautiful piece of work, to be honest. This chapter is beautiful. It's based on the experiences of a black girl in a predominantly white environment growing up. Um, not just like a black girl, a black girl who doesn't fit the um, body standards of our society. Um, I thought that comment about mom jeans was really interesting because this was published before mom jeans became popular again. I'm like, you know, what's cool and not cool is just so subjective. But this piece really hit home for me. And not just because I'm a black girl who was also grew up in a predominantly white environment, just because there are so many things people say to me or there's so many instances where people say things to me or I hear them say things and I'm like not sure where to go from there. I'm not sure if they're wrong, if I'm wrong, if the whole thing is wrong. I'm just confused and I feel like that's basically what this piece communicates.
I also found this TikTok that, ignore him, (laughs) that talks about the angry black woman stereotype. And I feel like this is another microaggression that I have been plagued with my entire life. And the text of the TikTok says, when someone thought you were mean at first and you ponder over the sapphire trope, also known as the angry black woman trope. So I've gotten this a lot as well. I've gotten, I thought you were mean at first because you were quiet or you intimidated me because you were quiet. And I'm like, is that the angry black woman trope stereotype at it again? Like, why why would you say that to me? <laughs> there's, there's, it's not like I gave off mean vibes. Personally, I don't think I did. It just, I just was quiet and I wasn't like, loud i don't know um and this creator talks about how they went out of their way to be friendly on like the down low just to kind of uh, maybe consciously maybe unconsciously avoid this stereotype that is so definitely a microaggression some of the comments say stuff like i remember getting called sassy back in sixth grade by a girl i never even talked to and wasn't even in my class and then someone says or when random people think i can fight or i'm rude Um, and so what's this one comment resonated with me a lot. People have told me this several times when I was just a quiet black girl who minded her own business. I can't show emotions without being stereotyped. And it's like, you can't show emotions without being stereotyped, but you also can't not show emotions without being stereotyped. Like, if you're loud and in people's faces, you're an angry black woman. And if you're quiet and not in people's faces, you're also an angry black woman. You're just hiding it. Like, what is going on here? What somebody tell me, because I'm very baffled, very much baffled by this. And then another comment says, I've never spoken to them a day in my life, and they swore up and down that I was terrifying. Like, what? You don't know me. What are you talking about? <laughs> like, I, it's truly, it's truly something else. There are a couple instances in my life where I have felt like, hmm, is this racist or is it just me? Specifically, last semester, I took this linguistics class as a part of my education major track. Uh, it was required and it was i think meant to be inclusive and to educate people against like harmful prejudices towards minority students um one takeaway like one major message from the class professor tried to impart upon us was that there's no such thing as um proper english there's just different dialects of english and the standard english that we sometimes consider proper English is like it's just drenched in colonialism and white supremacy and all those types of things but all dialects are valid and to label a student's dialect as improper English is in itself a microaggression which I definitely agreed with but there were so many aspects of this class that felt like it was racist and especially because I was like one of three black girls in the class and I wanted to look at them so many times be like are you guys seeing this and it felt racist or I don't know if I feel like racist is such a charged word but it didn't feel right when I would say 80% of the class was focused on AAVE or Ebonics like that's all they talked about all the time and and it would they would like have questions that were like um what ways do the way you speak differ from some 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 I don't even know the questions exactly but I do know me trying to answer these questions and having to like lie lie my ass off because aave is just how i talk naturally like it's just i mean i don't i wouldn't say i have the strongest ebonics accent but i have one and i was like what how am i supposed to answer this question this is just how i talk (laughs) anyway 
so we all had to do like some type of presentation based on a chapter in a textbook we were supposed to read and the, there was these two white girls that came up and did the presentation i'm saying two white girls like that's crazy it i mean the whole class was white girls i'm an elementary education major i would say 95 percent of people in that major are just white girls so that's just the reality anyway two of them went up to do, do a presentation and they had a sentence in aave up on the on their powerpoint slide but basically they had like they asked for volunteers to read this now who the hell is gonna want to read that you know you got this sentence on the board talking about i be going to the mall or some shit like that and the white people don't want to read that because they don't want to feel like they're mocking the dialect and the black people me sure as hell don't want to read that because I don't want to be like the token representation for the whole class, always having to read AAVE. Um, and I should preface, my professor always said that everything we do in this class is not meant to belittle or mock anyone with these dialects. It's meant solely for educational purposes so that we understand more about our students. But for me, it just felt like I didn't need to take this class because I was, I'm a black person and I am already aware of, sensitive towards differences in dialects whether that's not even just like related to aave but also like language learners and i just feel like i don't know it just feels so intuitive and i know like to be sensitive towards differences in dialect not correlating to your intelligence and i don't know i mean i know that there are people out there who grew up in completely like homogenous communities sheltered communities that um may have needed this class this class could have been helpful for them but it just felt kind of like a, a circus like clownery like what am i doing here um i do not need to be taking this class and the only reason i'm taking this class because you're making everyone take this class who's in my major so i mean and they had eventually they got a volunteer some white guy read it and like to put them out of their misery because nobody will need to volunteer <laughs> and it sounded so icky like it was like he was like and i be going to the store like whatever and i was like oh my god this cannot be happening like i cannot be sitting and listening to this like i couldn't even look at the other black girls to see if they also thought this was weird um honestly all the professors that i've had well not all of them most of them that i've had as an education major were so unhinged like i had this one professor that told us to face the wall and like dance to music to connect with our inner child or something like the windows were open that was so embarrassing people outside could see us why did she make us do that anyway literal nightmare fuel <laughs> back to the the um the topic of the episode i feel like a lot of the times when i'm faced with these microaggressions or these great these like acts that fall in the gray area of whether it's racist or not I need affirmation from other people to confirm that like what I heard or saw or whatever was racist. Uh, just like when I talked about earlier, looking at the other two black girls and being like, are you guys seeing this kind of thing? Um, but like, I've been in situations where there aren't any other black people, like it's just me. And I find myself like conflicted dealing with this inner turmoil because I'm not sure what to do when there's no affirmation or like reassurance that what I heard was not right. Um, and it makes me, it, it like leaves me honestly with feelings of paranoia, like, like I'm just being, 
like I'm reading into it too much or something. But I do think that we have reached a point in our society, our culture, where we are finally holding a lot of people accountable for things that um, in the past may have slid as not racist, especially like we see it all the time with cancel culture. And it's kind of confusing. Like we, we seem to have gone to the extreme end of the spectrum of oversensitivity um and i'm not saying that everyone who's canceled has been canceled because of like an oversensitivity uh, during in cancel culture i'm just saying that like where is the balance between this oversensitivity that we seem to have and, and like finally holding people accountable for what they did like thinking specifically about jenna marbles she okay so maybe she did she did <laughs> i will admit and she was right when she talked about the videos in the past were like not acceptable the blackface and the mimicking ebonics and stuff like that was like not acceptable but that was the humor at the time like people were laughing at things like that maybe they shouldn't have been to be honest maybe they shouldn't have been but everyone was laughing at it and because everyone was laughing it made it feel like it was okay now this does not justify anything but it does bring into like the bring the question should you examine actions like that people did while taking into account the time period and the culture within which it occurred and i have conflicting feelings about the answer to this question like in one sense i feel like yes because people make decisions um and do things taking into account a lot of different factors like the environment and doing things to protect themselves or doing things for motivators like success and all of those things or attention or clickbaity and all those like all these things are not like something that you can just examine in an isolated way like they all interact and contribute to and lead to the end result that we see which is Shane Dawson or Jenna Marbles doing blackface on YouTube um, and I'm, I'm not saying it's right. I'm, I want to make sure that's clear. I'm not saying that what they did was right. I'm just saying, like, are we being too hard on them, maybe? I don't know. Um, but in, the, in that same vein, if an old person called me the N-word, like if an old man came up to me right now and called me the N-word, I would not give him a pass. I would be ready to fight, like, right then and there. It doesn't matter what time period they grew up in. It's not okay. And they know that it's not okay. So why are they doing that? But then... I'm thinking like, okay, but that's different. So maybe because he he knows better now, but he didn't then. I don't know. That's not what I'm saying. I want to take that back. <laughs> I'm saying like, if he said the N-word to me right now, the um, time period and culture that exists currently, he should know that that is not acceptable. But then I, I also think if he did it back in the 60s, that's also not acceptable. But then I know that people said that word or acted racist as a form of protection in some instances, like if they were passing or if they knew that their surrounding community would react in a way that would negatively affect them if they did stand up for what they believed in and didn't align with the societal, cultural values, expectations. And I'm not, I'm again, not saying that any of this is right. It doesn't, this doesn't justify their actions. It just makes it a little bit easier to understand, to digest, to look at it from a different angle and understand that nothing is black and white. Like, nobody is perfect. The, the circumstances are never perfect. Things are always going to come and muddle things up. But saying all that to say, 
I also think that cancel culture has its merits because there is real danger in inaction. Um, in a way, inaction is passive agreement. You know, there's that saying, inaction is complicity. You know, because if you're not doing anything, you're inadvertently agreeing with supporting a person who is acting in a way that is racist. And I personally find myself very conflicted about this whole concept of inaction being complicity. Because, you know, we think about that Black Lives Matter movement where everyone is posting those little black squares on Instagram. And um, I personally did not post a black square. I felt like, I mean, I think the movement in itself was good to spread the word and like make sure people knew that this was serious and not something that was just gonna go away. And also that it got like a lot of big celebrities with large influences and following to like do it. I think that the pressure, putting pressure on people to go along with this trend was good, but also those black squares weren't doing anything. And I really hated the pressure that a lot of people felt to post a black square. Cause like if you didn't post your black square, you were racist basically. Uh, but there's just so many ways to to um, contribute to a cause and be involved with activism, and it's not limited to just posting a black square. Like you don't need to, you don't need to see everyone's activism, is what I'm saying. Everyone, everyone stands for what they believe for in different ways, and I struggle a lot with wanting to call out instances that could like skew towards racism but not wanting to deal with the hassle that comes with it. Now, that sounds so horrible. <laughs> when I say it like that, it sounds so horrible, but I'm being so honest right now. Like, a lot of people say that you should do something about something when you tell them, like, something that bothers you, but that basically just dumps all the responsibility of action on you, when more often than not, you probably already have enough responsibilities to deal with. Like, me personally, I feel like a little bit I should have said something about the linguistics class and how I didn't like how I felt like kind of targeted, kind of like, I don't know, I didn't feel, I didn't like going to that class and I didn't feel like the representation and diversity and inclusion stuff they were trying to do, I felt like it didn't really work that well, if I'm being honest. But I didn't, I mean, I feel like I should call, I feel like, I felt like I should have called that out, but I didn't because, you know, I honestly am just trying to graduate at this point. I'm just trying to graduate. I have enough on my plate trying to do the things that I need to do to graduate. And I really don't need the burden of fighting for change and equality. And it's it's unfair that it's always placed on people of color. Now, it makes sense that minority groups, whether that's LGBTQ+, or um, people of color, it makes sense that that burden always falls on us because we're the ones most impacted by it right but it's it's so tiring and when you already have enough barriers blocking you from achieving success in the same way that the majority white people straight white male kind of people have to have that additional burden additional responsibility of fighting for organizing um demanding change is like unnecessary and stressful like I don't I don't have time for that it sounds <laughs> it sounds so horrible but I'm being so honest right now like I'm just trying to graduate I just am trying to turn in my assignments on time and barely managing to do that like why why do I also have to change the world at the same time 
I feel like I didn't reach any type of conclusion during this episode. But I think discussing, like, how, what, what should we do? What metric are we using to determine if something is racist? To determine if something is offensive? To determine if something is a microaggression? Like, how do we realistically and in a timely manner determine this? Because sometimes I don't even figure out this stuff until, like, two weeks, two months after. And I'm thinking about, I'm like, you know what? That was not right. Something about that doesn't sit well with me. And, but it's like two months later. And it's like, what, you, what can you do about that at that point? So how, how can we determine if something is racist in a fast enough manner that we can act upon it, identify it, act upon it, and then resolve it? How do we do that? I really don't know. I wish I did. I wish I could tell you. I really don't, though. Well, <laughs> I think I'm going to end the end this episode there. Make sure to follow the podcast on Instagram at Jumbo Podcast. And as always, I hope that tomorrow is a little bit better for you than today was. I hope you have some more clarity on whether something was racist <laughs> tomorrow if you don't today. Um, yeah, I think... I think I need a, a treat after that, like some ice cream, because that was just, this episode was, oh, got me all types of riled up.